I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Tom Spoff. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, which is a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, you can find that website at wallsblog.com. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at wallsblog or on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Ali. Um, you can find me at Man in the Post um, on all your social media and uh, one of the main podcasters over there where we do pretty much what Kev does here. Weekend reviews and just talk about all things football in general. Yep, definitely worth a listen as well. And People should check out Wolves blog regardless of whether or not they're Wolves fans at all. Uh, but we'll start elsewhere. We'll, we'll start with Steve Bruce who just managed his thousandth Premier League game. Uh, today, Newcastle lost 3-2 to Tottenham, but instead of this being some kind of celebration of a manager reaching such an important milestone, I think that puts him top six or top five all-time in matches managed in the Premier League. Uh, we're talking about him potentially being on the way out. At a point in the match, both sets of fans were singing sacked, at the morning, sacked in the morning to Steve Bruce. So I guess my first kind of overall question of this show is, will he be? Will he be sacked in the morning? Um, I don't know about in the morning, but I think he will be sacked very soon. It might might take till the afternoon or it might take till um, later in the week. I think Jake, the resident Newcastle fan, um, made a good point. I think he said on Twitter that it's such an open goal for the new owners to sack him because it's just such great publicity for them amongst the fan base that, um, you know, the longer he stays, the, the more the opposite will become true. That, that, you know, the questions will be, why haven't you sacked him? Particularly because... You know, taking away all the the ownership issues, they haven't won a game. I mean, we're nearly we're halfway through October. Um, they've had some favourable fixtures where they they really should have got a result, um, and and they haven't done it. So, so I think he you know he he would be on borrowed time under any circumstances really. So um, I think that the what's probably going on with in the background is that they're probably thinking about who they've got to get in because. It's all very well getting rid of him, but you, you do need someone to be steering the ship, and they are in a perilous situation. Um, and whatever you might think about Steve Bruce, he is an experienced Premier League manager, so they might see it that he's he's as good a pair, pair of hands at the moment as as they might be able to get. So um, until they line someone else up, they, they might stick with him a bit longer. But I do think that that position is is slightly is becoming untenable, and it's probably sapping a bit of the optimism around the club so to you know get back to your original question i think he will be sacked um will it happen this week I, i'd be more i'd be more surprised if he was still in charge for the next game put it that way yeah i can only echo everything thomas just said really um whether it's whether it's tomorrow morning or, or this week he needs to go soon because the fans dislike him as much as mike ashley um and I think once that goes, there will be that aura lifted um, around the team. But as Thomas says, they really need to have who they want in charge next because we know they're going to be given you know, a decent amount of funds to spend and it needs to be spent wisely. The, the talk of Frank Lampard is, is really scary for Newcastle fans. But um, yeah, I think it's, only, it's really only a matter of time when he goes. But you know what? Let's give him a bit of credit. I mean, that thousandth game in charge. Um, and he has handled himself with quite a bit of dignity, I guess, um, in this time. But um, yeah, for Newcastle fans, I think they're glad to, to see the back of him, really. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. It might not literally be the morning, but it's certainly coming. And as you, as you said, Jake said, 
Uh, it's a very easy way to get the fans even more on side. And the atmosphere to start the match was incredible. Jake had also talked to me before the match about how uh, it was going to be about as rock as St. James Park as it had ever been and how much impact that could have on the match. Uh, it did in the first 10 minutes <laughs> after that, a little bit less so. But uh, I also agree with you, Ali. It, it is a remarkable achievement, and he should be applauded for making it this far. But uh, he has not had the most remarkable career, although the fact that he has continued to get chances, I, I think, must be testament to something that, that maybe we haven't seen, at, at least in the last few years. Uh, do we feel like this is kind of the end of that whole era of manager that kept sweeping in to go to like the lower you know, lower five teams in the table, try to save them, try to get stabilized before those clubs either moved on to, to try to move up the table or ended up getting relegated? I don't know. I mean, you know, Big Sam came into to West Brom last, last year and he did quite well. I think if the season had been a bit longer, they would have stayed up. He seemed, by the end of it, he seemed to have quite a good a good grasp of, of, of his team and, and they were quite a competitive outfit. So, I wouldn't say never, um, you know, and he, there's a sort of theory that Watford, Watford seem to sack their managers so and think that they can bring someone in and get that bounce. So, um, but I think of that old guard, you know, if, you, if you're talking about, they all kind of get lumped in together, don't they? But you, your Bruce, your Pardews, your Allardyces, that those managers, um, for whatever reason, who, who got multiple jobs in the Premier League. Um, you know, and operated around clubs. Sometimes they took clubs who were at the bottom and made them mid-table teams, or sometimes they didn't really improve things that much and they got moved on. Um, I think I think football clubs are casting the net further um, with their managers now. It's following suit with the players. They're happy to go more global. And obviously that opens up a market to more possibilities. So those British managers who kind of dined out on just hanging around and waiting for a job to become available, um, you know, might not find it as easy. Uh, but then again, whenever any job becomes available now, you're already seeing names like Eddie Howe and Frank Lampard. So is it is it just a case that it's the next generation of those managers, you know, managers that have done all right? You know, Howe did quite well at Bournemouth. Ultimately, they were relegated. Uh, Lampard did some good things at Derby and OK at Chelsea. But uh, but ultimately, you can see that Tuchel has, has taken them on another level with quite a similar group of players. Um, but but yet they still seem to be linked with every job that becomes available. Um, so you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know really. It's uh, it's interesting to see why managers, certain managers, have have stock because I mean, you would have probably put David Moyes in that category before his kind of resurgence at West Ham. Um, but then he's you know got into that club and restabilised them and actually made them a serious entity again. So you know, I mean. Maybe we shouldn't write off managers. Um, you know, they come with sort of reputation and baggage from previous, you know, positions. But but sometimes you, you've got to think, well, maybe they've learned from those jobs, and, and it can make them a better manager. And, and I think, like I say, David Moyes is an example of a a coach who you know was been given a bit of a kick in um, from some of his previous jobs, but he's come back and sort of you know made his mark again. So. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, really, to answer your question. I, I still think you'll probably see some of those managers knocking around um, and teams who are struggling in the Premier League may, you know, may still decide that they, they, they just get rid of a manager and, and turn to someone of that, you know, that calibre. Yeah, um, I, I feel we've got a couple more years left. I, I look at teams like Burnley, um, West Ham, if things were to go wrong with Moyes or, or they keep going well and Moyes decides to leave, but Teams, teams like that. What, as Thomas said, Watford changed their manager every second week. So they're, they're, Sam Ardis is definitely my shout there. But yeah, I think we've got a couple of years left. But I think we're slowly starting to see the 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 evolution leaving of those. And there's a lot of younger managers coming through now that are highly talked about in the Championship. Uh, I think we'll start to see more and more being given a chance uh, that as as more money comes into the league, you you do feel that teams will are looking to progress more. Gotcha. Yeah, I just don't think we'll ever see Alan Pardew again. <laughs> you guys make a decent point that, that we might see. 
yeah, that we might see Sam again. I, I don't know if we'll see Steve Bruce again, but maybe if he goes to the championship and got promoted, we could we could see him one last time. But regardless, a thousand Premier League matches is, is no mean feat. Um, obviously, not even the biggest news at Newcastle going on. Uh, we had Jake on for a, a club segment last week to talk about the takeover. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we're not going to hold today's match against the uh, new ownership although certainly many people could hold many things against them but uh, I was just curious what your guys thoughts were from like a league-wide perspective what the impact of having another basically oil state uh, taking ownership of a Premier League club uh, well I mean there's there's two sides to it really there's the non-football side of it which I think everyone's in kind of universal agreement about that it's you know clubs getting investment from questionable sources is not great not great for our game but I do understand the Newcastle sort of fan perspective of well that hasn't that ship sailed already um why are we being made the scapegoat so that that's certainly a reasonable thing to say um so I don't think anything really anything else really needs to be said on that subject because I think everyone is more or less on the same page um on the on the football side of it then you know if you take away the source of that money and you see it that they've now got money and they, they they could be a competitive force of the premier league i think that's only a good thing because because why not you know i think there's uh more competition at the, at the top of the table is is a good thing and i i think it um you know i think that that is good for the competition we don't want the same four or six teams being up there all the time, you know, and I think eventually, I think the Premier League is quite a good competition and, you know, I think the top teams find it harder to continually best even, you know, the mid-table teams now. I think it is quite a competitive environment, but I I think what we do, what we can benefit from is other teams who can really go to war with with the elite and, and, you know, get into that space. So I'm, my perspective is, Good luck to them, you know. I hope it uh, hope it works out well for them. I think uh, I tend to look at clubs and think, have they had a good run of it lately, or have they, you know, had a bit of a naff time? And I think the feeling is at Newcastle for a long time they've had the, you know, not been had the greatest time of things. So maybe they're due a good few years. So um, you know, I'm I'm just like everyone else, fascinated to see how it unfolds and whether they can use that investment to actually get where everyone seems to think they they are going. Yeah, I um, I personally have no issue with it. Um, I think clubs, football is worth so much money now. The only people who can invest in clubs and bring money in into clubs are, um, what's how can I put it? But none of them are very honourable. Put it that way. I think um, there's obviously there's levels to it, um, but you know, as as Thomas said, and I'm like, you've got to be happy for the Newcastle fans in this. Um, I'd be delighted if they bought over Liverpool at this point. Um, but as Thomas said it really well there. Yeah, another club. You know, it's, it's so long as it's done properly. I, I do like the way City did it. At least they, they invested in the area, the youth set up. You know, they didn't just come in and do like the the PSG format sort of thing. Um, so if they, if they can go about it the right way and they invest wisely and you know buy the right players and build themselves up because Newcastle are a, are a big team. The fan base are incredible. They've been through a lot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it, and I'm actually quite excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and I do think that's an excellent point, and Jake mentioned that as well in the segment that we did with him, which was uh, obviously uh, dubious records outside of England, but if they come in and they invest in the area and they create jobs and uplift a city that is uh, often neglected at, at a governmental level, then all of a sudden you could, you know, see a lot of rejuvenation there. And in that particular city and for that particular club, it be a goods potentially outweigh the bads. Although I think from a moralistic perspective, uh, quite a deep hole to dig out of. But um, regardless, it could have a very positive impact for the team in the city. Uh, And as you said uh, (laughs) at the beginning there, Thomas, we we all know what the other side is. And I don't think we need to argue with too many people uh, that that side is not ideal. We've obviously seen this happen before with Chelsea and Abramovich with City and their ownership. Um, probably not going to be able to accelerate as quickly as those clubs did now in the era of financial fair play, with which technically does do something sometimes. <laughs> but I was just curious, do we see them on a path to reach top four to start winning titles? And if so, what is that time span? Or do you think that because of limitations and stuff like that, that they never will reach that that height? I think it'll be very difficult, um, but you know it, it all comes down to the quality of their recruitment. Ultimately, having money 
is a tremendous advantage, but it's how you spend it. Um, I can sort of talk with a, a degree of experience in the sense that Wolves in the championship, uh, when they were taken over a bottom half championship team, all this money came in um, and their recruitment the first year was absolutely abysmal. We could have easily been relegated. Um, then they cleared all of that out over one summer, made some serious investments. And, and, you know, within the space of two years, we went from being a bottom half of the championship uh, team to being a team that made it to the quarterfinals of the Europa League, um, FA Cup semi-finalists. So you can make big gains uh, in a short period of time. And in fact, Wolves themselves were only six, seven points off the Champions League places in that uh, in that uh, second season in the Premier League. So it just goes to show that you can, if you get a group of players together quickly and they're a, you know, they're a good group and you, you've got quality in there, you can you can get right up there and and challenge, particularly if those one of those big four teams doesn't have a great season and you, you know and your that gap becomes closer. And I think we've also seen with Leicester, you know, they've done it a sort of more organic way. Obviously they had that title winning season, but then they've you know, subsequently been in the top four mix, you know, mix having been lower down. So they've they've grown organically through excellent recruitment um, and, and come very close. So I wouldn't say it's impossible for them to do that, but it, it will, you know, be completely determined by how well they use the, the investment. Um, they're going to be offered every single mercenary there is going. And I think the first the first challenge is, of whoever's in charge there is to make sure they don't end up taking the the easy wins, the the big name players who want you know two hundred thousand pounds a week. They're more than happy to go and play for Newcastle, but they want paying and maybe they've had their best days. I'm thinking players who you know maybe Barcelona want to get off the books, your Coutinho's, um, you know players of that ilk and profile who haven't really done a lot lately, but are still going to demand mega money. Um, I think they'd be better off Newcastle trying to bring in players who in the Premier League in recent years or another elite European league have shown that week in, week out, they're competitive players with the right mentality. Um, you know, they've got, they've got problems at the back, for instance. They've been linked with Tarkowski at Burnley. Someone like that, um, who who you know is going to go and, you know, improve that defence for them from where they are now, for instance, would be a good first stage signing. I think that's what they need to do, to strengthen up the team, become a sort of, you know, a, a proper competitive, you know, mid to top top end of the, you know, mid table range team, and then from there, then you you try and make make the gains. So um, it's not impossible, but the the leap to the top four is huge, and then the leap from just make scrambling into the top four to challenging for the title is even bigger. Um, because as I see it, you know, your Man City, and Liverpool, and and Chelsea, they're they're miles ahead of everyone else, and um, you know that that gap. To them is is monumental. So I think, you know, it's ten years minimum, I'd say, for challenging for the title, even if they do very well. But getting into the Champions League, you know, just getting a squad together and pushing for that top four, it is possible. But they'd have to make a lot of really good, good moves in the market. Yeah, word, word for word, what Thomas said almost. I reckon it is around that ten year mark. It's it all comes down to the recruitment of manager and who they put in place. To oversee scouting and, and player recommendations, as Thomas pointed, we've seen like the when Man City were bought over the Rubinho type signings, etc. Um, they do they need to just do it smartly. You know, don't try and go from where are they just now 18th, maybe 19th, and try and jump straight to the top four. It needs to be a you know a season after season progress, as Thomas says, bring in a few experienced Premier League players, but still with that bit of hunger, with a bit of point to prove. You know, build a Newcastle squad isn't actually the worst if you actually look at it player by player. Um, what they, as Thomas again mentioned, and what we spoke about on our podcast is they need to be careful of teams like Barcelona and even Liverpool um, players, teams like Liverpool and City. You know, just how much they're going to now expect for players or try and offload um, somebody, somebody clever, and they just their their biggest issue, I think, and their biggest thing they need to aim for is getting their manager in as quickly as they can and I almost identifying the style. Um, I, I, I've always enjoyed the way Liverpool have, especially in the last, in the Klopp years really, we, we haven't always just signed a name that's really like, you know, world famous. It's, they, they look for a player for certain positions and then they go for that. And I think Newcastle, that's they need an identity back. 
formation system, how they're going to play, and, and almost find players for their systems makes it easier to click and should make it you know more fun in the long run for the fans. Yeah, I think that's a great point and would require them rebuffing the advances of some of those mercenaries that Thomas was talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And I don't know if any of the moves that they've announced have been a director of football because that would be a very important position to fill. I think Jake mentioned that they were looking at Ralph Ragnick. Um, but yeah, if they can build that solid squad, then it could help drive them to that. But I don't think it's going to be like the next year or two, um, as you guys are saying. I think it'll be a bit longer before we see them really, you know, challenging the peak of, of English football at the soonest. Um, we'll go from there to talking about two teams that have recently been near the top. Uh, Manchester United less successfully, obviously Leicester winning the title a few years back under Ranieri, who we might address a bit later. Um, but uh, it ended up being a fascinating watch for the neutral, especially the ending with, with three really late goals, and then that bleeding into Thomas, your match for those uh, in the U.S. where the telecast jumped from one to the other for that exciting ending as well. But I was curious what you guys made of that match and, and how exciting it was to watch and if it was a statement of Manchester United maybe having been a bit overrated due to their summer signings, or if the like early speak of the demise of Leicester has been a bit too uh, presumptive. Yeah, a bit of both, I think. A bit of both. Um, I think Leicester, Leicester haven't been playing well, but they've got a, they've got a lot of injuries. Rogers has got a couple of players he's, he's trying to work into that team. Um, but they, they definitely they were performing below their level. Um, I think they were quite lucky actually to get out of that Crystal Palace match with a draw, despite the fact they were two up, because I think they were lucky to be two up. I think they were lucky to hold on a bit by the end um, to get that point. But that said, I always felt their level would improve. Um, and it's it's no surprise, really. I looked at the team that he put out against Man United and it was kind of tried and tested. He had Madison back in there, who I think is an important player for them. Uh, he had obviously Vardy and Ian Acho, who were both tremendous Premier League strikers. Got you know Tielemans, he's got the Suenchu at the back. I mean, I just felt like that looked like a proper Leicester team, um, and and I suspected they would give Man United a game. I thought Man United would do more in the game. Um, I know they scored the two goals, but it's the problem with Man United is I think that everyone can see it is that they they've they're top loaded. You know they've got they've got about what six seven players across that front three they could be picking, and they've got a midfield that's just not the balance isn't right. Um, and they haven't got the legs in there. Um, they're not. They don't press enough. They don't get around the pitch and tackle enough. There's no sort of pattern to their play. How they build attacks. Um, like you know, they'll, they'll go around blowing teams away this season, and I still think they'll finish fourth. I, if, if I had to, in fact, if I had to predict the position of one team where they'll finish, and you said you had to put all your money on that, I would put on Man United over any other team in the league to finish fourth. That is where I think they will be. Um, come the end of the season because they're not going to finish above Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City and I don't think anyone else will finish above them because I think their firepower alone will, will probably see them through but yeah, they're, they're not a great side and they're not actually a great watch if I'm honest I've got, I've got a friend who's a Man United fan and I watch a few games with him and they're not they're not great because it is so disjointed um, but teams do kind of pay them respect because of the attack they've got and that they'll sort of sit back a bit and Man United aren't great at breaking teams down so so yeah, I think I think just Man United in a difficult moment. Um, I don't. I think Solskjaer has got a real job on his hands to sort out the issues in that midfield, and I'm not sure he's got the solutions because I still think he'd probably like to revert to playing McTominay and Fred, um, but then the, the fans don't like that, and um, it doesn't make them as attractive. Uh, and I just think they they just missed the boat in in not signing that midfielder that they so obviously needed in the summer. Um, so I think it could be a Difficult period for Man United, and they've got some difficult games coming up. Um, so I think the, the pressure is only going to get more intense for them. Um, so, yeah, very interested to see how they do in the Champions League. Very interested to see how that uh, Man United-Liverpool game goes next weekend, which I'm sure Ali is too. Yeah, I think I'll start with the Man United side because it makes me smile more. Um, <laughs> the, do you know what? Like we have a lot of fun at Ole's expense, and, and quite rightly so because he deserves it. But the the Man United this summer and and arguably last summer as well reminds me very much of Chelsea's last summer. You know they were signing players for name value only. Like we we've just mentioned the the Newcastle signing, but not just signing players. You know because you know we believe they're good. You know it's like football manager signings almost. 
Um, we, you clearly see they, they need improvement in defence. Okay, they got Varane, but they still got Maguire. They still spent eighty million on Harry Maguire, um, and the midfield is just. I don't want to say anything too harsh here because we're playing them next week and watch them turn out like Xavi and Iniesta displays. But <laughs> the, the midfield really is quite pathetic. They're very limited. Um, they keep buying players to to make Pogba better. Surely that seem that would be the the issue here then. Start looking that way. I think you mentioned Thomas. Yeah, they've got about six players to cover front three positions. Did they really need Jaden Sancho? He's a wonderful player. He's barely played for them. Um, Donny van de Beek, I feel he's locked in a cupboard somewhere. I'm not sure he even exists anymore. It's just um, Jamie from the the Burnley the representative on here. Uh, I was I was messaging him yesterday on Twitter, and um, he's saying like Man United really need to sack, and I'm telling him to, to say that quietly. You know, we we want Ollie getting a new contract, um, but you can really see it going down the the Chelsea route there when when they do finally realise that they've invested a lot of money on a lot of world superstars um, and it's it's not going well but they will, as you said Thomas, they'll, they'll finish top four purely because the amount of talent they have there it's impossible not to finish in the top four because they'll win games purely on they will get chances and even if they're not good chances, they have the quality and a player like Ronaldo like Ronaldo signing was the biggest waste of time really, ever in the summer, they didn't need him, they, they've got Cavani they've got other forwards spending ridiculous money on him. But he is going to create chances out of nothing. Um, on Leicester, I mean, Kev, you know you know my thoughts on Brendan Rodgers. Um, but he, he said something after this international break. I think it was just after or just before when he was speaking and he was he was quite open and honest about how result, you know, results had been disappointing and how he wasn't like happy with how him and the team had done. Where, like, he needed to get back to the pressing side of things. And Brendan Rodgers got quite a, quite a big ego. And and to see him being quite almost quite humble there for once. So I don't know. And he's older age. He's, he's maturing. Um, but their team is their team's very good. And I think overall their their eleven is definitely better than Man United's. Man United have definitely got better superstars. So the result doesn't surprise me. The the biggest thing to come from this game. I don't know if any of you guys heard it. Uh, was the commentators probably you not UK if we've been on an American stream? But the commentators over here were talking about how. Um, how strange it was for Man United to be poor defensively and now Harry Maguire was back. And that, that just made me chuckle. <laughs> how possibly? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting take. Um, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think they're literally too talented to fall out of the top four, but we were just talking about how important team construction will be for Manchester United with money. And it they addressed certain needs, but maybe not the profiles that were needed to get the best out of that team. And I think they've gotten away with some in the past because I don't think Ole's tactics are so developed that certain players don't fit it. I think he's just like, get me a collection of good players and I'll put them on a pitch and hopefully get them to play well together. Um, but I, I think you guys are both spot on with with the things that they didn't address. That That lack of a defensive midfielder is just shocking. And the idea that they were like, let's let's go get Ronaldo to be our like one of four strikers that we have rather than addressing your your biggest need which either hurts your one of your more talented players in Pogba who doesn't work very well in a base two of a, of a four two three one uh <laughs> it leaves out some of your other good players it's it's a it's a very strange choice that they made there and I think because of it they, they won't be anywhere near the title race uh come the end of the season and, and Leicester I, I think they've just dealt with so many bad breaks the last couple of years with injuries at the wrong time with Rodgers making the wrong choices at the wrong time. It, they, they really should have been in the Champions League the last two years. And the fact that they haven't been, I think, is really hard. And I think we're seeing a reemergence of the big four. So whether their window has passed or not, time will tell. But I, I think results like this show that they still can play with the air quote big boys. But uh, we'll see where they wind up come the end of the year. All right, I wanted to wrap up this section by talking about defense because both of your clubs are actually top five right now in goals conceded the good way. Uh, and I was just curious from you guys if you think that's more of a player thing, if you think it's more of a tactics thing, if if the midfielders are protecting the back line or if it's just individual brilliance at large. So yeah, why are both of your defenses so good? Well, I mean, I think we'll probably give different answers, really. I mean, I don't want to answer on Ali's behalf, but I'd say for Liverpool, it's probably more about outstanding personnel and the, their availability. Um, 
But I mean, for Wolves, I was almost a bit surprised when you sent me that information, that stat, because I hadn't really looked at it and thought of us as being really robust defensively. Um, and obviously, we conceded twice yesterday um, to, to Villa. Um, but yeah, like you say, we, we have done better. I think partly for Wolves, it's that we've having more possession this season under under Bruno Large than we did under Nuno. We're not being as passive. We're not just sitting back and de- defending in a shape um, and and trying to and trying to absorb and counter. We're, we're sort of getting on the front foot more. So bizarrely, through being more attacking, we're being better defensive. It's kind of the Pep Guardiola way, isn't it? If you if you've got the ball, the other team can't score basically. So we are having a bit more. I think it's a it's a bit of that and the fact that there's probably the We've still got some of the resilience of the new no years because with Bruno Large, he sort of came thinking he'd play a back four, but he's, he's still persisting with a back five. So we've got three, you know, those three centre halves who are quite familiar with that system, um, and that probably helps a bit. And then we're still playing with with Ruben Neves and João Martinho just sitting in front of a back three. So you've still got a, you know a fair old defensive block there, um, even though we're trying to be more progressive in possession and perhaps push the wing backs up further and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's good really for Wolves that, that they're able to do that, and it's just as well really because even though we're creating a lot of chances, we're not scoring a lot of goals. We're still only a goal a game team, um, and and obviously that that needs to improve, or we need to keep not not conceding more than zero one in, in a game. But um, but yeah, so I mean, if I it's, it's hard really because I think a lot of Wolves fans were absolutely gutted that we didn't sign a centre half in the in the summer transfer window. I wasn't as good as everyone else, but I think that there was a thought that we're, we're still playing with midfielders in defence because Saïs and Cody were, were midfielders when we signed them and they've, they've become centre-halves. Um, and obviously they were championship midfielders and now they're Premier League defenders. So there's a feeling that maybe, you know, we, we need someone more proven at an elite level if we really want to push on and be a, a top-half team. Um, and I think they, they Bruno Lodge has already talked about the importance of bringing in a defender in January. So hopefully it's a case that they fit into an already good system by that point and uh, it, it strengthens us uh, further. Yeah, yeah, slightly different as, as Thomas alluded to there. Yeah, we fortunately um, this season we have obviously full availability. Uh, actually, probably too many at the moment. We, our new signing, which we strengthened in the summer, Kanati has, has barely played. I think he's played maybe two games. Um, Matip's managing to stay fit all season. Virgil's played every minute of every game this season for Holland and uh, Liverpool. I think he's 12, 13th game yesterday, maybe 14, possibly. Can't remember what, what I read, but and he's played the 90 minutes in, in all games, which is almost a surprise. So. Whilst our defence is, is good just now, I, I still feel it will get better as well, you know, the, the more fit he gets. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously completely biased, but I genuinely believe Van, Virgil van Dijk's the, the best centre-back in the world at the moment. And I also believe Fabinho's maybe the best defensive holding midfielder as well. So when you've got the two of them together, um, along with obviously a, a world-class goalkeeper who's, who's definitely top three, maybe top five goalkeepers in the world as well, we're quite fortunate to have just exceptional personnel. We've we've got very attacking fullbacks who are quite good at getting back as well. But our midfield's based really around to suit them because our midfielders are more workhorses than anything creative, which is maybe a maybe where we actually lack in the team. But even I don't know if any of you watched as much of the game yesterday, but most Alice spent a lot of time at right back as well when Trent was ahead of him. Um, and I, I think that just says a lot about how our system and how much Klopp gets players to to work for him, um, which we've seen from the beginning, from when he came in, what he managed to achieve with a, a rather me- mediocre team originally compared to what we have now. But yeah, certainly for, for us, um, who try to be a, a much more attacking, almost gung-ho team at times, um, we, we just have a lot of quality in the back. And the defenders in, like Matip and Virgil, they're quick as well, so they can set that a bit higher line because they make good recovery as well. Yeah, well, while you got there different ways, both really impressive thus far this season, and uh, good luck to both of you on doing it. Though, no offense, Thomas, I feel like Liverpool may have more luck in that regard season long, but uh, definitely interesting uh, trend to pick up on this early in the season. All right, now we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. All right. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you talking about Wolves. Uh, we alluded to it a little bit earlier on the very exciting Saturday that we had, although Sunday didn't really disappoint either. But losing 2-0... You have 20 minutes left in the match. You score three times from from your perspective and from the perspective of, of Wolves fans. What the heck happened? <laughs> yeah, hard to know, really. I, th- I think I said to you off air that the game, to me, looked gone. Um, Villa, Villa got that second goal. And, um, you know, they, they seem to have that spring in their step. Wolves were misplacing passes. Um, and it, it just looked like a matter of time before probably Villa got another goal on the break. Um, and, and saw the game off. Um, but, you know, we've got Adama Traore and he, he had went on a computer game run down the wing, hurdled a couple of challenges, won us a corner. And from that point, Villa just couldn't get out. We just had a series of set pieces, um, second balls, recoveries into the box all the time. And eventually Ruben Neves threaded the ball through to Daniel Pedence and, and got that first goal back. And then I think the nerves just set in for Villa and it was... Penalty area, ping pong for the second. And then another Adama Traore computer game run, uh, run got us a free kick and Ruben Neves deflected free kick in for the victory. So it's uh, just a mad just a mad 10 minutes, really, that that can happen in football, can't it? And it just shows why you do keep pushing because I think in the Premier League, nine times out of 10, you know that game's gone. But if you keep pushing and pushing and you, you, know, you maintain your level, you can shake mistakes out of teams and... Fortunately for Wolves, it's just one of those days where the balls drop for us in the penalty area, and when we, you know, we took advantage of that. Um, so uh, yeah, happy happy days. Yeah, very impressive to turn that around. Like you say, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, it feels really good. And if you keep fighting, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, luck favors the prepared. One of those kind of situations yeah. where if you keep pushing and you keep getting in the right spots, you still have chances to to come back in the match as you did. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about Bruno Lage. Lage? Man, I'll figure that out by the end of the season, I promise. Um, but <laughs> while I do so, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Willie Boley and then a larger conversation about the players that might not be getting a look in under Bruno that most people are used to seeing in your, your 11 regularly. Yeah, yeah, well, it's Bruno Lage. I can I can tell you that now. It's like a large with a soft G. <laughs> that was literally the first question they asked him because no one knows who he is. They're like, uh, so uh, what's your name? And he was like, yes, Bruno Large. Um, yeah, so um, Bruno Large. Yeah, he's uh, he. I, I think with some of the the familiar names, it's just come down to injury as much as anything. With uh, Willie Bolly, he's um, the problem with him is he just keeps pulling up with hamstring problems whenever he plays more than one game. He just seems to perpetually have problems with that hamstring um and and i think that's that's limited his progress he did play in that league cup game against spurs i'm sure you'll remember um but uh but that that's been it and i think the, the max kilman's who's been on the sidelines been a reserve player for us ever since we've been back in the premier league i think it's just been his time to have a run in the team because it was either you know he's going to get some games or he's going to go um, and, he, and I think he's just taken that chance. Um, I th- a lot of our fans really like him. I'm not entirely convinced because I think there's a lack of aggression there. Um, and I feel like the presence of Bolly would be big for us if we could get a good run of games out of him. But as you say, Kev, it's hard to argue with the stats if you're Willie Bolly because you're thinking, well, we've only conceded eight goals so far. We've got one of the best defences. And, you know, we're, we're eighth in the table. Well, we were eighth before the game kicked off today. But we've got 12 points, four wins, which for us really... 
Um, I think as a club where we are, because we're kind of rebuilding post Nuno, I think we're in a good position. And I think Bruno Large has, has proved that he's capable of, of setting teams up in the Premier League and, and getting results, which is big for him because he didn't come with a big reputation. And I think some other neutrals might have looked at Wolves and thought, oh, couple of key players left in recent years. The manager's gone. Is this where it's going to properly crumble for them? So to be where we are after eight games, I'm very happy for him. And I'm, I'm very happy for Bruno Large because he's just sort of going about his business in a very low profile way. And um, yeah, long may that continue. Gotcha. And then I have one last personal uh, selfish question for you, which is, did Nuno ever just not use any subs in a match for Wolves? Because I think Tottenham fans are very much scratching our heads after having been 3-1 up and him just deciding to stick with the 11 he named the whole match. Yeah, I think he was quite slow to use his subs a lot of times. Yeah, um, I think he... He, he, we, when we first came up to the Premier League, we had this ridiculous run of games where we picked the same eleven. I think if he's got, he's one of these managers who, if he thinks he's he's found a solution that he likes, then he's going to persist with that. He's going to get as much out of it as he possibly can. I mean, I think for the first two seasons, it was just it was a constant conversation amongst pundits, like how can Wolves just continually not get any injuries and just constantly pick the same players? It like defies logic, and then it eventually caught up with us, and we got loads of fatigue-related injuries <laughs> with all these players. And that's probably a bit of you know we go back to Willie Bolly, why his hamstrings are absolutely hammered is because he you know he's getting on in years a bit now, and he uh, he, he played a hell of a lot of games under Nuno because he was the main man back there really. So so yeah, I mean that that's just a it's an interesting thing with managers, I suppose, isn't it? You know, how they use their, their substitutes. But, um, but yeah, I think that was certainly a theme, uh, particularly in the, in, the, in the... But, you know, Wolves were good with that. that. That worked well for us. So, I think at Tottenham, it's probably because, like you say, he's probably, he's probably found some players that he feels he's got a high degree of trust in. And when they're out on the pitch and the result's still in the balance, he's probably thinking, I rely on this group. And whoever I send on, I'm not, I'm not 100% certain about because... Um, you know, he, he probably has questions. And I think that's probably only natural because he's, he's still getting to know that that group at Tottenham. Um, and I think there's some question marks over a lot of players in that squad for him. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think that may become a persistent theme that you might have to live with. Interesting. You know, we thought nobody could do later substitutions than Potch, but uh, none <laughs> seems to have outdone him a touch already. Uh, all right, we'll come to you now, Ali, to talk a little bit about Liverpool. Uh, really big win on the scoreline, uh, obviously against Watford and a new manager, which we'll get to in a second here. But I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on the match overall to begin with. Yeah, I, I briefly mentioned, obviously, pre-pod, that I, I was slightly concerned going into this game just with the... Uh, the two players I, I mentioned before, missing Fabinho and missing Allison. Um, the biggest thing, obviously, it wasn't Adrian that came in; it was Kelleher, so that was a bonus. But Fabinho missing in midfield is always always a concern. Um, obviously, Henderson's getting older and injuries. Um, Milner's big ninety-five year old at this point, but he's a cyborg, so it's it's okay. And, and Naby Keita's fitness is obviously in and in and out, shall we say? I mean, when he plays for us. I think in his last 15 games, we've scored 46 goals, conceded six. So the success rate is there when he plays. He's, he's definitely influential. He has a positive impact in the team. I, I do feel Klopp doesn't trust him a lot of the time, but obviously with Curtis Jones getting injured. Um, so the, con- the concerns were there. Obviously, there's this. There's always the talk of the new manager bouncing. Watford hadn't actually been bad this season. But what... I, I, actually, I feel harsh just slating Watford again but we were very good we we looked on it from the very beginning Watford definitely helped us um I think I said the last time we were we were on Kev about Mo Salah you know being being arguably the best player in the world mm. at the moment mm. you know, and, and the last few weeks just just reassured it for me that I, I don't even think it's arguably now I just don't know at the moment who who's performing to the to the same level he is the, the goal he scored uh, yesterday um, and obviously the goal last week against City was just out of this world and he's creating chances he just I don't know there's just he just seems to be on a, a completely different level um, but just overall just we we really made it look like a, a training game which is always a positive coming back from the international break 
Yeah, to your Salah point, he currently leads the league in shots on target by eight, by the way. And he's second in chances created. So uh, that's behind Trent on his same side on the same team. So, yeah, he's he's pretty decent. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will superimpose that goal with the city goal and all that stuff. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about Roberto Firmino instead. We, we can talk about Salah all day long, every week, about how good he is. But Firmino rocking up with a hat trick was a little surprising. And it seems like for maybe over a year plus now, people have been trying to push him out of the team. Maybe Jota should play there instead. Maybe he should go by like a traditional nine to play up front in between Salah and Mane on the wings. Although people have had their complaints about Mane, but he seems to be in better form now than he was at the start of the year. But I was just curious your thoughts on Firmino. Is he still going to be the answer going forward in the middle of this team? Or as this team begins to age, will you start looking for either a a deputy there or a true replacement? I am. Well, I was one of the ones who had grown, you know, extremely frustrated with, with Firmino. We fell in love with him the first couple of seasons, and he was remarkable. I think everybody will agree. He almost transformed that number nine role the way you know Klopp had got him playing, and he was key to a lot of things. The last couple of seasons, it's been really frustrating. You know, when when the wingers are getting doubled up on, we're relying on a lot of the chances we're falling to to Firmino, and he just wasn't taking them. This season, I believe he has a goal or assist every. Now let me get this right. Is it every 35, 0.35 or 0.55? One of those two, um, which is except you know it's it's actually higher than than Mo's. Obviously, he's not played as, as many minutes, and that's why that stats obviously slightly different. But his his form this season, goal and assist wise, is is phenomenal. And if that continues, it's great. I still think we need to look at someone else not of the same kind maybe more of a not a traditional number nine i wouldn't want the the cane type number nine like it doesn't i just don't think it would suit manny and, and salah in particular Do you need more mobility yeah I, I i don't don't ask me who i'm not very well you know out there on you know on, on international football i don't watch international games i don't really watch like other leagues unless there's a big game on them i barely watch liverpool these days to be honest but I do think we need more of a... Now that the way Manny and Salah play, I think they would benefit Bobby's goal um, in this game. You know, the one that Milner cut across goal. That's where we lack sometimes. It's not It's not very often Firmino's there. Uh, I always talk about when Man City, the two seasons ago, Sterling scored like 23 goals and about 15 of them were the exact same goal, you know, just cutbacks and, and there was Sterling just running in. I do feel we just we just need a bit of mobility and and more of a number nine in the long term. The, I think again we mentioned the last time I was on Kev it was that front three have been together now and played a lot of minutes together, so they are coming to their almost their shelf life as a three. Although this season really just makes me look stupid saying that because <laughs> you know they're all they're all scoring goals, they're all getting assists. I think Manny, I think the front three can't be far off being like three of the top five or six goal scorers in the league. I, I haven't checked, but Manny and Salah have almost scored in, in every game. And I think that's Firmino's sixth of the season as well. I, I can't think of many players, um, you know, who are scoring more. Yeah, it's really weird. Firmino is not even <laughs> top three on your own side in shots on target, but still yeah. does have the goals coming as well. So maybe his his uh, demise was a little... We're a little too early there. Um, I also wanted to talk to you, as I've kind of alluded to twice now, the fact that you're the the first side that got to get a glimpse of Claudio Ranieri's Watford side. Uh, obvious takeaways, target Danny Rose. Uh, but I was curious if you picked up on anything else about the way he had Watford playing that might be interesting as we look at how they developed throughout the year. Very, very negative um, yesterday. Uh, I, I don't know... I've watched Watford a couple of times this year, either highlight packages or, you know, just extended games for for covering them for the for our show, obviously. But this was one of the worst I've seen them. There was just no it was like, you know, when you get a group of guys together just at the park and nobody's ever met before, and then it's like, right, just go on and play. That really was what it was like. Every time they were getting a ball, I believe the first half they only had ninety I want to say ninety passes, and only fifty percent of them were accurate in the first half, which was very concerning. 
No, no. And I, I mean, I alluded to the, the Danny Rose. Might have been the worst individual performance. Um, I, I have witnessed anyway. I mean, other players, teams can come at me as fans and they'll probably... Actually, Dejan Lovren against Spurs. Take that back. Um, but Oh, yeah, Danny, yeah. <laughs> Let's just have him man Mark Kane and Son was not, as it turns out, a great tactical idea. No, but I, I, I don't know how well Danny Rose has played the rest of the season. Obviously, you know from, from the last couple of seasons what he was like. You know, in the sports team, and then and then down to the the youth setup. But um, I thought the Ranieri sign appointment was strange, but Watford are a strange club. I didn't think they were in any trouble to go down, but based on this weekend's performance from them, they've got a lot of work to do under Ranieri if he's trying to change their setup. But for me, it just lacked a lot of ambition. Um, lacked. It was almost just a case of. Now, don't get me wrong. Your first game against Liverpool. Is no easy, you know, way in. But I always feel if you're coming in against like a Liverpool or a, a City or even a Chelsea, isn't that almost like a free hit that you could be a bit more, you know, expressive, a bit more expansive, mm. and just, you know, let's almost enjoy yourselves, have fun, and let's work from there. Yeah, it it does feel like it was one of those matches where he set up that way to avoid being beat five nil, and then was beat five nil because of it. Like, if you have the ball in the other half, kind of like what uh, you were talking about earlier, Thomas, if you have the ball, other teams can't attack you with it. Uh, But yeah, he obviously chose not to do that, and it was a rough start. I I still think their actual, like, best 11 is probably good enough to keep them up, but we'll see how how that goes. They're currently outside of the relegation zone, uh, and a win from Burnley, Newcastle, or Norwich wouldn't even get them up to them, so they do have a little bit of wiggle room if if Ranieri can get this right pretty quickly, but... uh, I'm not sure there are too many people that would be going out of their way to bet on them staying up right now, even though in theory they should have a decent shot at doing so. Uh, All right, we'll head next into Player Watch, where I just wanted to talk to you guys about which of your summer signings have been the most impressive thus far. Yeah, I mean, I think for Wolves, I would probably say there's not a lot of competition, I might add, because they do a lot of business, but uh, Jose Saar, the goalkeeper, is is the one I would probably highlight. Um, You know, we lost Rui Patricio, uh, to Roma, uh, and uh, I think that, that it was talked about for a long time before it actually happened that Patricio was going to go to Roma, and then we were going to get Saar from Olympiacos, and that's exactly what happened. And they're very different goalkeepers. Patricio was your steady Eddie, stay on the line, save everything that goes near him, but don't really come and claim a lot. Um, but he did very well for Wolves for a number of years, and I think people were slightly apprehensive. Um, and Saar is a very different goalkeeper. He's more, you know, he's like a, what would you call him? Like a diet Edison. You know, he's like that kind of goalkeeper, very comfortable with the ball at his feet, um, very light, sort of good shot, agile, good shot stopper. Um, and I think that's kind of symbolic of our change in style, really, as well. We, we're, we're now not just sitting back like Patricio would and um, on, on his line, we're sort of coming forward more and, and trying to play out from the back more proactively and, and create more interesting angles for passes. Um, but he's just, I've just been very impressed with him. Been very impressed with him indeed. He's, he's, he's first and foremost done well with his hands and he, he, you know, he's made a lot of important saves, made a great save from Danny Ings yesterday. Um, and he, he's even got an assist this season uh, for uh, Raul Jimenez's goal at Southampton. So yeah, there's just, there's just not to, you know, there's nothing so far that the, makes me think we we've downgraded really if anything I think we've actually improved the team by by having him there uh, which is a big compliment to him because obviously Rui Patricio is a goalkeeper with an enormous number of international caps so um, yeah Jose Sar for me um, a couple of the others I'd mentioned Trincao from Barcelona hasn't really done much uh, given his reputation he arrived we'd probably need more from him um, and yeah but um, but yeah Jose Sar for me well, for me, I think we only signed one player, and that was uh, Ibrahim Kanati. And so I take to say he's our, be- he's been our best signing, Kev. Um, but he, granted, he's only played maybe twice. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll I saw give- Harvey Elliott technically was counted as a transfer in post loan, but unfortunately, he's out for the year. Well, I was going to mention Curtis Jones, um, who's I, I know he played minutes, but obviously he started the season almost as a as a regular in the midfield, and, and he, he has been quite a bright spark. He, I've not been his his biggest fan almost. I've been quite critical. I just I didn't see what a lot of people, 
you know, it was one of those I didn't see him, you know, when you get these youth players coming through and they're, they're good in spells, but you don't really quite think they, they would make it at, at that level. I thought he'd be a good Premier League player, but maybe not in the in the elite section, but he, he held his high head up very well in those opening few weeks and obviously got a disappointing injury over an international duty. So um, we'll see when he comes back in. Obviously, yeah, just mentioning Harvey Elliott there, obviously first real you know, impact he was making and then that, that awful challenge. So hopefully he comes back from that and, and he, hopefully he, he gets his chance again. You know, he can recover well and, and get back in because he, he does look like a real talent. I mean, I don't know what both you guys think of think of him, but I mean, he's, I, I like a player like that, you know, a bit of, bit of confidence about him and almost no fear. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I suppose this might have not been the best question for the two of you given the, the limited signings, but... Yeah, pretty pretty promising steps, I think, from both. Uh, and we'll wrap up with match previews, Thomas. We'll stick by starting with you. You're going to be facing Leeds away. What are your thoughts heading into that one? Well, I mean, I just feel we've... Because we've, we've won four of the last five games, I feel quite buoyant about things. And it's like victories breed confidence. And we're kind of ahead of where I kind of anticipated we'd be at this point. So every match at the moment just feels like a bonus. Um, and we're actually in the middle of a pretty winnable run of fixtures, uh, playing teams... Well, not playing the, the, the actual top, top teams for a while now. So, um, you know, I fancy us, really. I mean, Leeds on in a great moment... That's, that's going to feel like a really big game for them because they're going to look at it and think we, we, we can turn walls over at Ellen Road. I don't really know what the status is of their their players because Rafinha, Rafinha, Rafinha and uh, Calvin Phillips didn't play at Southampton yesterday and Bamford was out. I don't, I don't know if any of those players or all of those players are going to be back for them next weekend. If they are, that will make a huge difference to that, to that Leeds team. Um, and they're they're obviously capable of beating us because, you know, they 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 beat plenty of good teams last season. I would say they didn't beat Wolves in either of those games. In either of our games, we got two one nil wins, which is absolutely bananas when you consider the football Leeds were playing last season, and we weren't doing particularly great. So um, to get, I was very happy indeed with those two wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the pressure's on them to get the result, and uh, if we can go there and be defensively resilient as we have been in a lot of games this season. We've got every chance. I mean, we didn't start with Raul Jimenez yesterday, so he should be refreshed after a week off and, um, you know, hopefully get him back in the team and uh, we, you know, sort of pick up where we left off more so against Newcastle than against Villa. Cause you know, we, we, it was a late show at Villa and sort of more about digging in, whereas the performance against Newcastle was more fluidity to our attack. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm confident going there because we've got the results in the bag and it, and it feels like a bonus. But um, I'll go for a draw because we haven't had any draws yet. So I'll uh, I'll say uh, one all. Yeah, we Atletico Madrid um, just gives me nightmares after um, a couple of years ago. Um, that was the sign of the company getting shut down over here um, after letting all the fans in. But um, I'm I'm fairly confident in this game. I'm, they do know how to defend and how to sit back and you know play that that style that Simeone's got them in. But I think obviously Fabinho and Allison coming back, as I've mentioned, you know several times, they are key. That form the front three are in um, the defence. I, I didn't know we were in the top five, Kev, until you pointed it out. Um, so it, all things look great for for us, I guess. Um, I do fancy. I don't think they'll attack us much. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go for a two 0 win. I, I I just don't see them scoring just now. Uh, for United, you are away. <laughs> oh, so we oh have... we've, got, we've got them as well, haven't we? Um, oh, I'm going to just because I I can't be I can't be confident in that game. Let's just go for a a one one draw. So if if we win, it'll be a. A bit a nice bonus in my head. I, I just can't go anything above that. <laughs> I feel like the United match is one of those ones where you don't really want to win because it could add to the pressure on uh, <laughs> Solskjaer, which seems to be a very delicate balance with some of the big yeah. sides. Is uh, do we want to beat them heavily or <laughs> maybe keep yeah, them in the job another couple months? But uh, <laughs> keep Solskjaer in a new contract. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And if you're a United fan, sorry, but that is largely how everyone else is thinking. Um, that'll do it for us today, though. Uh, guys, if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Uh, as always, you can uh, read what I'm 
writing about Wolves at uh, wolvesblog.com. Previews and match reports for all upcoming games. So if we're playing Wolves or you just want to get some tips for your fancy football team or whatever, uh, whatever floats your boat, you can uh, jump onto wolvesblog.com or follow us on Twitter at wolvesblog. Yep. Thank you very much for having me on again, Kevin. It's been an absolute pleasure. You can find us at Man in the Post, as I said, on all the social media platforms. We have two podcasts a week, sometimes a little special one. Uh, you'll find us Mondays and Fridays. So, yeah, just please check us out. And, um, yeah, thank you very much again. Yeah, thanks for you guys for coming on. If you're listening and would like to find us at the show, you can do so by finding us at EPL Roundtable. I'm on Twitter at Kevroth, and you can find us by searching EPL Roundtable on any of your podcasting sites, which you seem to have managed successfully if you're hearing this. But thanks again to you two for coming on. It was a pleasure as always, and folks at home, we hope you keep listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.